I'm honored to be here tonight. I, uh, I appreciate the church's confidence in me and asking me to do this and speak here tonight. I appreciate it, Brother Tim. I said ordination, clerked his ordination way back. And I laid my hands on him and my approval of him, and I'd do it again. I appreciate him. Appreciate all that he, he spent a lot of time and putting into his lesson, and I appreciate I appreciate him and all that he's done. Uh, <clears throat> what he's taught here tonight. My subject tonight is Jezebel. Now when you talk about wicked women, Jezebel just about tops the list. I can't, uh, I can't tell her story though without telling Ahab, King Ahab's story. You see, she caused Ahab to sin. And they have caused Israel to sin. It was a, a thing that they, they were doing, and they were very guilty. She was a very, very wicked woman. The Lord Jesus, He gave John letters to send to the churches, seven churches of Asia and Revelations. And he calls a woman at Thyatira, Jezebel. He told Thyatira that they had some good things and mentioned some good things that they had. And then he said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. Because you've got that Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, who teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's Revelations 2 and 20 where uh, Jesus is writing, having John's write to the churches of Aaron and to the church of Thyatira. Can you imagine a woman that wicked? She was a wicked woman teaching people in the church to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idol gods. Uh, isn't that wicked? That's awful wicked. But uh, because of her weakness, the Lord called her Jezebel. Now if we go back to start the subject of the Jezebel. She's in the Old Testament. And I'll begin 1 Kings, the 16th chapter. I want to first talk about Jezebel and where she came from. She was from Sidon. The Lord mentioned Sidon Tyre, I believe, twice in the scriptures, and he went there. Sidon is, uh, is in what we call Lebanon today. Ethbel was Jezebel's uh, father, he was king of Sidon. And he, his name had Baal in it. 
His name meant with him is Baal. B-A-A-L. That's an idol god. If you don't know, it's an idol god. It was no god, but they were worshiping a god that was no god, an idol god. Ethbel, and then he taught Jezebel, it seems. Some say that Jezebel came from a phonation name that meant Baal is the prince. I think Jezebel should have been spelled not B-E-L, but B-A-A-L. Because they were worshipers of Baal. But worshiping idol gods. You wouldn't think a king of Israel would marry a woman that was worshiping an idol god. But Ahab did. In the 16th chapter of 1 Kings, he took a Jezebel to be his wife. Now, I don't know how many wives Ahab had, but uh, one place it says wives in plural. He had several wives, I guess. But when he got Jezebel, I have an idea, as mean as she was, that the other wives become servants. She was one, one mean woman. Not long after Ahab married Jezebel, he actually built a house of worship to Baal in Samaria. This is the king of Israel. This is the northern kingdom after Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judea. Ahab was reigning over the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, but you wouldn't think, you'd never think, a king of Israel would build a house to worship Baal that was an idol of God. He was nothing. But they were worshiping. They thought that there was a Baal out there. He was God. And they was worshiping him. Well, he didn't stop there. He established a grove. In those days, the prophets of Baal lived in groves. They had a special plant that they used, and they would build large groves or establish large groves, and Baal's prophets would live in there. He did that for Baal's prophets. Can you imagine the king of Israel doing that? Well, he did. Jezebel got him into that trouble. Well, it wasn't long till the prophet Elijah, the Lord God's prophet, the real God, his prophet, he came to Ahab and he said, Ahab, it's not going to rain for these years. It's not going to rain. And there won't be any dew these years. So a drought began. There wasn't any rain to grow vegetables to eat. There wasn't a rain for grass for their livestock. It was a bad time. It was a drought. The streams, springs and streams dried up. That's an awful time. But after two years, 
Elijah returned. He returned and he said, Ahab, it's going to rain. But I want you to come and bring Israel with you uh, up to Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring Baal's prophets with you to Mount Carmel. And it was 450 there. So uh, I guess uh, Ahab was afraid that if he didn't do that, that it'd be another drought. When he appeared, when Elijah appeared to Ahab, Ahab said, Are you the one who troubles Israel? And Elijah said, No, Ahab, you're the one who troubles Israel. And that's who was troubling Israel. Brought under drought. But evidently Ahab felt like that if he didn't go and didn't get Israel, people of Israel up there and didn't get Baal's prophets up there, uh, that there'd be another drought and he didn't want that, I'm sure. Uh, uh, so anyway, he showed up at Carmel, Mount Carmel and Israel with him. Baal's prophets were there, 450. But Jezebel didn't go. Well, Elijah put a challenge out that day. He told the people, he said, if Baal be God, let Baal be God. If God is God, let him be God. Why tear you between two opinions? He said, here's what I want. Baal's prophets, a lot more of them than just me, let them provide two bullocks. Let them cut up the bullocks. And they can build an altar and place wood upon it. And then they can place the meat upon that. And I'll do the same. So Baal's prophets built the altar and put the wood on it and, and they put the meat on it. And they began to call in on Baal, calling out to Baal. Oh, Baal. Uh, Elijah told them that the real God would send fire down from heaven and uh, uh, consume uh, that altar and the sacrifice. So they called, Baal, Baal, Baal. They were calling out to Baal. Baal, send the fire down. And so they were calling, and they did that. And about noon, Elijah began to mock them. He said, he may be on a vacation or he may be uh, uh, traveling. He may be asleep or he may just not can hear you. You need to cry out louder. <coughs> so they began to cry out louder. And they took knives and other things and cutting themselves and blood running out everywhere. And they called on Baal at times of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah took 12 stones and made an altar. He put wood up on it, and he put the meat of, a, of one of those animals on there. Then he called for 12 barrels of water. They were out those barrels of water and poured on that meat and on the wood, and he dug a trench around that altar, and that water run down in that trench. 12 barrels. When he had done all of that, then he called on the Lord God of heaven, and fire came down from heaven. It devoured the meat, it devoured the wood, it devoured the stones, and it licked up the water in the trench. 
And Israel's people of Israel were saying, the Lord, he's God. Boy, that ought to convince anybody, ought not it? The Lord, he is God. Well, Elijah said, bring me Baal's prophets. And they brought him Baal's prophets, and he took a sword and killed all 450 of them. And the day was done. Ahab went back home, and he told Jezebel all the things that went on. Jezebel sent Elijah a message, said, you're going to die tomorrow. Elijah's work was done, so he just flew to the coop, so to speak. He got out of there and got away. But he threw his mantle upon Elisha. Boy. Seems like Ahab shaped up a little. He shaped up a little. And the prophet came to Ahab and he told him. He said, Ben-Hadad of Syria is going to bring uh, his army down here. They're going to make war with Israel. He said, you need to set 232 princes of the provinces ahead and take Israel's army out there. And he said, who will call for the battle to start? He said, you will. And so they went out there in the hills. Ben-Hadad brought his army down. And when the battle began, Israel's little army was slaughtering those people. It said man for man. I think it, if I remember right, it was 7,000 of Israel, so they must have killed 7,000 of them. And they fled and went back to Syria. Ben-Hadad got on a horse, and he, he got out of there. As Ahab was supposed to kill him. He got out of there. So uh, later on in that year, Ben-Hadad's servants got around him and said, say, hey, Israel's God is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. What you need to do is to get together your army just like you had before. And we'll go down there and we'll fight them in the valleys, in the plain there, and uh, uh, their God is not God of the hills and the valleys, it's just God of the hills. So he got together an army like he had before, a large army. This time it had 34 kings with him before, and they requested to get 34 captains. But they came down with that huge army. And the scripture said to Israel's army looked like two little flocks of sheep out there. Their kids out there. Ben Hadad's army filled the whole countryside. Boy's a lot of difference, wasn't it? But God was going to prove that he was God of the hills and he was God of the fowlers. The battle started, and Israel's army slaughtered. A hundred thousand soldiers from Syria. Twenty-seven thousand fled and went over to Aphek, and this wall fell on them. Twenty-seven thousand over there. But again, Ben-Hadad escaped on the horse. Boy, God had proved 
He was God of the hills and God of the valley. I think just for a few minutes I want to depart from Jezebel and Ahab and say a little about the God of the hills and the valley. You know, back several years ago, I had preached on God of the hills and the valleys. took that for a subject. And I thought as I studied that, I thought somebody ought to write a song about that. Later, Alice and I were going up to Gatlinburg to the mountains for a few days, and we got up to Knoxville and turned the radio on the gospel station. We got over there where you leave the interstate, and there's a straight stretch down through there, and there was a long curve around through there. And as we was going down through there, the McCamish come on singing, God on the mountain. Folks, that blessed my soul. I can see that straight stretch and that curve now. That blessed my soul when that song come on. He's God of the mountain. He's God of the valley. He's God of the good times. He's God of the bad. He's God of the day. And he's God of the night. Boy, I want to tell you tonight, he wasn't just God of the hills and the valleys back there, but he's God of the hills and the valleys today. There may be some of you young folks out there tonight that are saying, I'm too young, I can't reach out to my friends. They're lost, but I just can't reach out to them. And there's others lost, but I just can't reach out to them. I'm just, I'm just young, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. You see, the God of the hills and the valleys will help you. Several years ago, my brother, I've told some of you this before, some here that ain't heard this, I'm sure, but uh, several years ago, my brother pastored Goodwill down near Hartsville, Tennessee. One year they had 60 people saved, not in a revival, but... They had good revivals, but his people have been saved all the year long. Sixty people saved in one year. My brother told me, he said, it's the young people, teenagers, what he was talking about. He said they got concerned about their lost friends. And he said, Don, when they would pray and about make the hair stand up on your head, they were really concerned about their lost friends and neighbors and they began to go out and bring them in. Boy, they had a great year down there. And I'm told that that meeting got into the factories down there, and people were actually saved in the factories. And then it, uh, it got over into another little church down there called Cedar Bluff up the valley down there, and they had 21 that year. Listen, God can use you. He is God of the hills and valleys. He can use anybody if they'll surrender and follow him. Some of you old folks may be saying you can't either, but you can. You see, you're God, God of the hills and the valleys. He's God of the day and God of the night. He's God. I went to Maple Grove up 
just outside the city limits of Lafayette back in the 80s. When I got there, there was uh, five lost kids, and I started preaching to them. And there's a woman come in two doors up. That woman come to the altar. She was about 53-year-old, I think. And she prayed for a while, and she got up and she left. That afternoon, she called me and told me, said, Brother Don, I got saved going out the back door. Well, that was great. That lifted me up. But I started preaching to them lost kids, just kept preaching to them Sunday after Sunday, and they all got saved. Oh, by the time that happened, the older folks there in that church become prayer warriors, and they begin to say to themselves, if we could get them in here, they'd get saved. And so uh, they went out after people. Uh, folks, I've never seen nothing like this in my life anywhere else but right there. Uh, we were in a revival, so to speak, for six years. We had good revivals, but just every little bit through the years, somebody would get saved. They went out and they brought them in. I'll tell you, God has got a divine fuels in the balance, and he can, he can help us, and we need his help, and we need to serve him. When he calls on us, we need to go. There may be some sitting back there tonight's lost. You may be saying, he saved others, but he hasn't saved me. Well, I want to tell you that it's not God's fault, it's yours. I want to tell you a few things here that you need to know. The first thing you need to know is that you're a sinner. You, like all the rest of us, was born with Adam's sinful nature, and you're a sinner. The Apostle Paul said, all have sinned come short of the glory of God. Solomon said, there's not a just man upon the earth that does good and sin is not. John said, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth's not in us. Oh, you're a sinner. You need to get that in your head. Until you get that in your head, you won't get saved. When you get that in your head, maybe, maybe, maybe you can get the rest of it right and get saved. You need to see yourself as a sinner. You need to look back and see that you have sinned. You see, you're going to die. Listen to me now. You're going to die because you've sinned. You see, the good book says the wages of sin is death. Yes, door, uh, death, if you ain't saved, death is a door to hell. You're going to die because of the sins behind you. Listen. The psalmist said the weak and all nations forget God shall be turned into hell. It's sin that will send you to hell. The sins in your life. You've got to realize that you are a sinner and look back on your life and become sorry for your sin. Uh, Paul said godly sorrow works repentance. When you become sorry for your sins, you turn to the Lord Jesus, call on him. If you'll trust him, he'll save your soul. You've got to trust him. You've got to put everything else behind. Just put your soul in his hands and he'll save you. Listen, that's important. I got another thing I'd like to talk about here before I go back to Jezebel Nahum. 
There may be some of you that are thinking about getting married and would like to get married down the way somewhere if you can find somebody. Could be young or old. There's lots of people that get married and some, lots of marriages don't last very long. Some of them last a few years and they fall apart. I'm going to tell you a way to do that. When I got out of high school, I married my high school sweetheart. I thought she was the right one, but I'm going to tell you what I did. I talked to the Lord about it. I talked to the Almighty God about it. You see, he's got all the hills in the valley. He knows who's right for you. You pray about it. I prayed about it. And he let me know that uh, that my uh, that a girl that I loved was my uh, could be my wife and make a good wife. You need to get God's approval before you get married. I don't care who you are, who you marry, whatever. You need to get God's approval. Listen. We had two children. Her name was Pastor and we called her Pat. Pat was a good mother. Later I started preaching and started pastoring. And she was a good preacher's wife. And the people at the church just loved her. I'm glad that I talked to the Lord. I'm going to admonish you tonight to talk to the Lord. Boy, if you get an answer from him, you've got it. Listen, my wife Pat came down and ALS, you Gary, Lou Gehrig disease, some people call it. It's terminal. She lasts four years. Had difficult four years. The last two years were awful. During that four years, we had a friend that knew Alice's husband. And Alice's husband had ALS. And he didn't last but two years. But they come to see us, visit us, after that friend told him about us. And we, that and I went and visited other people that had ALS. We wanted to know, and they just wanted to know, everybody wants to know that have it. Have you heard of anything that'll help? Have you heard, is there any possible cure? You're just looking for everywhere because it's been terminal. They came and visited us. We kind of kept in touch a little bit, but we, you know, like I said, with other people too. But Alice learned about her wheelchair, or Floyd's wheelchair. Later, after Pat had died, I carried that wheelchair back some time after the fact. But then, later I began to think about if I could find me a wife, a good woman, I'd like to get married again and have what I had before. I was lonesome. 
Boy, that lost a lot. I wondered what I'd had before. And I started talking to the Lord about it. And he said, Alice was the one. She was saved, but she wasn't a missionary Baptist and I, at that time. And didn't belong to the missionary Baptist church. And she was saved. But, uh, but I was afraid that it would bother my ministry. And I kept praying to the Lord. And it was always Alice was the one. I had friends that were trying to fix me up with other women. I never dated none of them. There's some women that called me, and I never dated none of them because the Lord was saying Alice was the one. This went on for a while, and I decided she must be the one. The Lord just keeps telling me she's the one. So one day I called her and asked her for a date, and she agreed to go on a date. We began to date him, and I fell in love with Alice, and she fell in love with me. After some time, we agreed to get married, and we got married. Just a short time after we got married, I was pastoring and she joined the church. And I had the I had the privilege of baptizing her. That was a great ordeal for me. That was a great thing. And that was Madison with that church home. And the people loved her. And I pastored some churches after Madison. And they loved her. She was a help to my ministry. She was a help all along. I'm telling you, God has God of the hills and the valleys. Before you get married, get an answer from God that it's the right one, and you'll have a good marriage. If God says it's good, it's good. It was right for me twice. And I, I want to tell you, uh, Alice and I have been married 34 years till the July. And I still love that woman. Yes, I do. And I believe that she loves me. She's Joseph. She's Joseph. I'm not pastoring anymore, but I'm, I'm with the African Fund, and it causes, I need a little secretary, you know, and she's doing a lot of that, other things. She's been my other thing. She's special to me. The Lord told me she would be. I tell you, he's God of the hills and the valleys. We're going to go back to Ahab and Jezebel now. You go back. We just, uh, we've just been talking about Ahab and Israel winning that great battle. They'd won two of them. God had proved he was God of the hills and the valleys. That little army of Israel killed 100,000 of the Syrians and 27,000 went over to Ephraim and that wall fell on them. That's where they got to. Well, not long after that, Ahab, king of Syria, he got away again. Ahab didn't go after him. But uh, his people told him, said, said we hear that uh, the kings of Israel, that they are uh, they're merciful. 
So they talked him into going down and making friends with Ahab. And so he came down. And he told Ahab, he said, I'll give you back all the territories that my father took from yours. And he said, I will name streets after you in Damascus. Ahab was eating that up, I guess. So that day they made a covenant to be friends. Well, there's a prophet come to Ahab. And he told him he was going to die. I don't think Ahab paid much attention to that. That he was going to die. But he was there. And he got out. And he had a neighbor named Naboth. Naboth had a had a vineyard that joined Ahab's property. He got out there and he was looking at Naboth's vineyard. And he thought, boy, he'd really like to have that. So he went and asked Naboth to give him that property. He said, I'll give you money, whatever it's worth, I'll give you one that's better than that somewhere else. Naboth said, well, I can't give you that. I can't give you my vineyard because my father gave it to me. My father gave it to me. I just can't give it to you. Kept telling him that, so he didn't give him that vineyard. Well, Ahab was pouting. He went back home that night. He's pouting. Jezebel sees there's something wrong with him, and she says, what's so wrong with you? And he tells her. He said, I asked Naboth to give me his vineyard, and he wouldn't give it to me. And she said, well, don't you worry. I'll take care of that. Now, Jezebel, this wicked woman, she sits down, and she writes letters in the name of Ahab and his field to his servants, to several of his servants. And she tells the servants, she said, well, once several of you uh, to get out there and make a big to-do, if I can paraphrase, make a big to-do over Naboth and lift him up and be praising him uh, like he is something special. But you have two sons of Belial, two, uh, two of you be sons of Belial, and you come along when this is going on. One of them would say, he blasphemed the king. Other them would say, he blasphemed the Lord God. And he says, when they tell that, then all of you kill him. So they killed Naboth. They killed him. That night, again, a prophet appeared to Ahab. And he said, Ahab, you're going to die, and the dogs are going to lick up your blood. And he said, Jezebel's going to die, and the dogs are going to eat her. I don't know what he thought much about that or not. But right after that, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the southern king, that used to be part of the big Israel. Jehoshaphat, he got in touch with Ahab and said, 
We need to go up to Syria. We need to get together and go up to Syria and take Ramos and Gilead back. It's ours. We need to go up there and take it back. You see, Ben Dad had made a covenant to give him all those areas that his father had touched in his family. And he hadn't done it. So Ahab agreed with Jehoshaphat to go up and, and to take that, take that territory back. And so, in a while, they got together and they went up. And the war began up there in Syria. The battle hadn't been on very long before Ahab or Aaron hit him in the back, come out in his heart and front, and blood rolled down into his chest. Well, they carried Ahab back, and they buried him. What the prophets had said, he's going to die, happened, he died. They went, they carried him back, and they buried him. Then they took the chariot. They washed the chariot out. And blood flowed out. And the dog licked up his blood. Fulfill what the prophet had said. You're going to die. The dog lick up your blood. Well, Jezebel is still alive. But you go to 2 Kings, the ninth chapter. One of Ahab's sons is now the king. But you go to Second Kings, second chapter, and Elijah, I think, had sent a prophet to Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat. He told him to take a box of oil, carry him into like a private place, I'm paraphrasing. And he said, to, you tell him to anoint him king. The Lord was having it done. You're king of Israel. So Jehu liked that. He went out and started telling everybody what had happened, and they all liked it. A lot of people got behind Jehu, so he sent his men out. And they went out, and Ahab had 70 sons. He went out there. They went out, and they killed all 70. They had sons, and the Scripture said, and his kinfolk. Boy, they went out there. Wiped out his family. Cleaned it out that nobody would be trying to take over the throne, I guess. But uh, they went back after they had done that. Then Jehu said, you know, Jezebel, she ought to be dead. She ought to die. And so... They went to get rid of Jezebel. They, they found her. She had disguised herself, and she was upstairs in the upper window looking out, and they, they went where she's at. I don't know if they knew where she's at, but they found her. She was up there in that window looking out, and they knew it was Jezebel. But Jehu had some of her own servants, three of them, to cast her out of the window up there. Cast her out of the window to the ground, and the scripture said her blood sprinkled on the building and some on the horses. Well, after they killed Jezebel, they just left her laying there. 
They went back. Then a while, Jehu said, she is a king's daughter. She ought to be buried. So they went back again to bury Jezebel. And they get there to bury Jezebel, and the dog had eat everything except her skull, the palm of her hands, and her feet. That was all that was left of her. Well, it's my understanding that they took that and cast it out in the field where they both died. And the dog came again. So here, the story of Jezebel and Ahab That's the thing that said there. Jezebel was a wicked woman. She was a very big sinner. But she caused Ahab to sin. And Ahab caused Israel to sin. Terrible thing. But through all of that, did God's people survive? Well, that's, that's the end of the story. Well, then, I don't know what you think about it, but I believe Jezebel and Ahab's in the depths of hell tonight crying out for mercy, for mercy don't we? Boy, there's a lot of people, wicked people in the world today. I don't agree with a lot of people that say it's worse than it used to be. It's worse than it used to be several years back, but uh, <coughs> it's just been a lot worse than it is now in the dark ages. But you know, ten emperors give, give power to the Pope. Yeah, and they killed 50 million Anabaptists. Can you imagine that? 50 million. That was bad days, wasn't it? We ain't seen nothing like that. We ain't seen nothing like that. But it was awful. The last martyr was burned to death by King James the same year. Well, he wasn't burned to death that year. But King James put him to stake to burn him to death the same year as he had the Bible translated. He mumbled as they took him down. thought he was denying his faith. They took him down, but he wasn't. So next year, 1612, they put him back to state and burned him to death. That's the last Baptist that was burned to death. But they come over to America, and they suffered here. And so we become a country that was against the law uh, for Baptists to preach in this country. But you know what? They did it anyway. They did it anyway. Oh, they did. And lots of people were saved. Lots of churches established in Pioneer Day. Yeah. God is God that heals in the Bible. He is. If you don't remember nothing else tonight, I'd like you to remember that. He's God of your healing and your battle. Your bad days and your good. I'm glad to have a God like that.
May God bless each and every one of you tonight. I'm going to stop here. I don't know how long I've been speaking. It don't seem all that long to me, but uh, it may seem a long time to you. But, uh, but this is the story of Jezebel and Ahab, and I throw down a little extra. But of all things, remember that God heals. God of the hills and the valley, God of the good times and the bad times, he's God of day and night. I'm glad we got that kind of God. He gave his son to die for us. Oh, that's one good God. That's a good one. Thank God for the God. Okay. May God bless all of you. I'll stop.